Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name's Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, I don't remember everything that happened to me in childhood. Anybody remember everything that happened to them when they were a kid? Okay, Steve, you do? Unlike, me, unlike Steve, I don't remember everything that happened to me in childhood, but there is one scene I'll never forget. It's permanently etched into my memory, and it happened when I was about six, almost seven years old. One day, my younger brother and I, we were playing with our toy cars in our bedroom. Uh, suddenly, our mom came inside, and she told us something. She said that the very next Sunday morning, our whole family, uh, which at that point was uh, um, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, and myself, that our whole family was going to be going to church on a regular basis. And to be honest, I had no idea what to expect because I didn't know very much about church at that point in my life. All I knew is that things were going to change for our family. So I remember the next Sunday morning, we parked the car in the parking lot. We walked up to the church building. I can still remember my dad buttoning his jacket as we were walking along. There was a greeter who was standing right there. My mom pulled the greeter aside, and she asked her where the children's Sunday school classes were held. And so I remember attending Sunday school for the very first time and loving every minute of it. I loved the games that we would play, the lessons that we would learn, the crafts that we would make, the songs that we would sing. And then after a couple of weeks of attending Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher asked me if I had a Bible. And I told her I didn't. And so the very next week, she gave me this, my very first copy of the Bible, uh, which I've kept to this very day all these years later. Um, It's fallen apart from all the wear and tear. Um, You can even see stickers on the front of it uh, or on the cover of it from when uh, what would happen is you get a sticker and you go to Sunday school and you put the sticker in your Bible. In fact, there's even, uh, you can't see this, but there's residual glue and glitter on some of the pages from when we made homemade Christmas ornaments in Sunday school one year. I love this Bible, and I brought this Bible with me to Sunday school each weekend. I also remember how after a couple of, um, actually more than a couple of weeks, probably about a year or so after attending Sunday school, my mom saw the impact that Sunday school was having on us as kids. And so she had this deep desire to teach Sunday school herself. And so what would happen was um, our dad would drop us off at the uh, 930 hour and we would go to Sunday school. My mom would teach Sunday school. But then, of course, my mom still wanted to go to a church service. And so then what would happen after Sunday school is my dad would meet us again at 11 a.m., And all of us as a family, we would attend the 11 o'clock service, which was by far the most traditional service at that church. And so I remember being beside my mom, and we would say the Lord's Prayer. We would recite the Apostles' Creed each weekend, even as we do here at Asbury in our traditional service. Um, What they would do is they would print the lyrics of the hymns in the bulletin. We have the lyrics up on the screens, but they would print the lyrics of the hymns in the bulletin. And every once in a while, I would lose my place and not know where I was. So my mom would take her finger, and she would trace her finger over the lyrics. And if I close my eyes, I can see my mom, her finger, uh, just being traced over those lyrics so that I wouldn't lose my place and I could follow along. I remember during the greeting time, we would shake people's hands, and there weren't a heck of a lot of kids in that service. And so, you know, we stood out. 
And there was this one older gentleman, and I imagine at this point he's probably in heaven with Jesus, but he came up to my brother and myself, and he gave us a silver coin. And he also told us how when he was a boy our age that a Civil War soldier came to his school. And as somebody who was learning about the Civil War for the first time, I thought that was so incredibly cool. That man became like a grandfather. Uh, so we would go to that service um, each and every weekend. It had such a big impact on our lives. Um, I also remember going to Wednesday night activities. Uh, we would go to children's choir. My mom would go to her small group. I remember going to youth group when I was middle school and high school. I also remember how when I was about halfway through high school, and I've shared this before, really began to struggle with my faith. I was having all kinds of doubts and questions, and I started to pull away from the church. And yet the people of the church lovingly reached out to me. They weren't obnoxious about it. They weren't pushy about it. But they reached out to me, and they encouraged me to come back and to work out my struggles with them. I remember the church supporting me when I answered God's call in my life as a 16-year-old to pastoral ministry, a calling that, quite frankly, scared me to death. Still scares me to death, if I'm honest. Uh, I remember the church believing in that call, even when I didn't believe in that call myself. Uh, I remember the church being there for me through some of the best seasons of my life, through some of the most difficult seasons. Folks, it is safe to say that I am a product of the church. I would not be the person, I would not be the Christian that I am today if it were not for the church. I am so incredibly grateful for the church. And listen, I'm not naive. I know the church is imperfect. I know the church gets it wrong. I know the church makes a lot of mistakes. But the church literally took me in and raised me and helped me to follow Jesus Christ. I don't know where I would be today if it were not for the church. And the truth is, the reality is that God longs for all of us. God longs for each and every one of us to be a part of the church. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this sermon. And so for about a month, our congregation has been walking through a message series. Uh, we saw the bumper video just a second ago. Uh, we've called this series uh, the short of it. The subtitle is The Entire Story of the Bible from Creation to New Creation. And this series is meant to help us see the grand sweep of Scripture, not to get lost in all the individual details of the Bible, but instead to see the Bible in a big-picture way. And in doing this and trying to see the Bible in a big-picture way, we're looking at six major movements of Scripture. The six major movements, they're up here on the screen. Uh, the first major movement that we looked at was the movement of creation. And then from there, the second week, we looked at the second major movement, which is the fall, uh, the fall of humanity from the sin of Adam and Eve. The third week, we looked at the third major movement, which is Israel. And then last week, we looked at the fourth major movement, which is Jesus. Today, we're looking at the fifth major movement, which is the church. And then next week, as we close out this sermon series, as we bring these conversations to an end, we're going to look at the last major movement, which is new creation. And so, folks, that means that the bridge between Jesus and new creation, new creation would be when God wraps this whole thing up, uh, God brings his saving work to completion. The bridge between Jesus and new creation is the church, which isn't a building, right? I know that so often in our conversations, we refer to this building that we're in right now as the church. And you've probably said this before. Hey, I need to run up to the church. I'm going to go drop this off at the church. And yet, folks, nowhere in the New Testament, I can't think of anywhere in the New Testament where the word church is ever used in reference to a building. Uh, the Greek word for church that we find in the New Testament, remember the New Testament was written in Greek, uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Greek word for church in the New Testament is ekklesia. Ecclesia, which literally means called out community. 
that the church is a community of people who have been called out. So what have we been called out from? We've been called out from the world, right? We've been called out from sin, darkness, brokenness, and we've been led into salvation. God's perfect, God's holy, God's marvelous, God's wonderful light. Now, in terms of when the church got started, in Scripture we learn that the church began shortly after the ascension of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. And so what happened was Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He appeared to a whole bunch of people. And then 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus returned back to God the Father. Uh, we read about this in Acts 1. Um, he ascended back to the Father. And then 10 days later, so this would be 50 days after the resurrection, what happened next, and we read about this in Acts 2, is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, came upon the church. So think about this. Jesus ascended, and the Holy Spirit descended. The Holy Spirit descended upon the church, and the Holy Spirit empowered the church to continue the saving work that Jesus started when he came among us. In fact, do you know what the predominant metaphor for the church in the New Testament is? The metaphor that's used more than any other metaphor for the church? Uh, the New Testament uses a lot of different metaphors for the church. For example, in 1 Corinthians, the church is called the temple of God. Uh, the church is called the family of God. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul calls the church the bride of Christ. But the predominant metaphor for church in the New Testament is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. For example, listen with me to what the Apostle Paul writes here. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. He says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Or check out what Paul says here. Uh, this is Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. He says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. There's a lot of other examples we could give, but I want to highlight just one more. Uh, this is what Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 12. He says their responsibility. Uh, he's referring to pastors, to church leaders, to people like myself. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Who would God's people be? All of you. Uh, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church the body of Christ. And so again and again and again throughout Scripture, Paul calls the church the body of Jesus Christ. This is the metaphor that is used more than any other metaphor for the church in the New Testament. But that begs the question, where did Paul get this idea that the church is the body of Jesus Christ? He didn't just pull it out of thin air. He didn't just suddenly come up with it. Where did he get this concept that you and I as the church were the body of Christ? He actually got it from Jesus himself. Remember back when he was known by his Hebrew name, Saul? Saul was a persecutor of Christians. He wanted nothing more than to destroy Christianity, squelch out this movement of Jesus followers that had arisen in the Roman Empire. So what Saul would do is he would round up Christians. He would terrorize them. He would arrest them. He would try to do whatever he could to get them to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. In some cases, he would even stand beside as they were killed. Remember Stephen, the first Christian martyr? In Acts chapter 6, we read that he was stoned to death. Saul stood beside. He didn't stop it. He actually authorized it. He was okay with Stephen stoning. And so three chapters later, we're in Acts 9. And I would encourage you, by the way, this week to really read the book of Acts because the book of Acts talks about the beginning of the church. Well, in Acts chapter 9, Saul is on a mission. He's leaving Jerusalem. He's going to Damascus. He wants to persecute Christians there. Well, suddenly during this journey to Damascus, he has an encounter with none other than the risen Jesus. 
And so check out what happens during this encounter. This passage just baffles me and blows me away every time I read it. This is Acts 9, verses 3 through 5. As he, that would be Saul, as Saul was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Notice he says his name twice. Sometimes you've got to say somebody's name twice to really get their attention, right? Wives, you know about that when it comes to your husbands. Parents, you know about that when it comes to your children. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, here's what's interesting about this passage that I used to overlook, but then somebody pointed it out to me. Now I'll never see this passage the same way again. Here's what's interesting about this passage. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? But Saul wasn't technically persecuting Jesus, was he? Remember, at this point, Jesus had already ascended. He had already gone back to heaven. He had already returned to God the Father. Instead, Saul was persecuting who? Jesus' followers. He was persecuting the church. And yet by persecuting the church, Saul was, in fact, persecuting Jesus. Why? Because the church is Jesus and the world. And so, folks, that means that when people persecute the church, and by, by the way, I want to be clear about this, I'm talking about real persecution. I'm not talking about, oh, the Walmart employee said happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. I'm being persecuted. That's not persecution. I'm talking about real, genuine persecution. When you're arrested, when you're terrorized, when you suffer, when you're killed because of your faith in Jesus, when people persecute the church, they're actually persecuting us. And on the flip side, when people receive our ministry, when hungry people are fed, when naked people are clothed, when the thirsty are given a drink, when people receive our ministry, they're receiving none other than the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. The church is Jesus in the world. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila was a Christian mystic. She lived back in the 1500s. She captured this very point in this quote. Listen to what she says. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands, no feet, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which Christ looks out his compassion to the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless us now. And so put simply, the kingdom work that Jesus started when he came among us 2,000 years ago, that kingdom work continues even now by the power of the Holy Spirit through the church that collectively, we are the body of Jesus Christ in this world. All right. Fair enough. But what does that mean for us today? I mean, what does that look like practically on the ground? How do we, as individual members of the church, which we all are, how do we as individual members of the church commit ourselves to the collective work of Jesus Christ through the church? Well, we do this in a number of different ways. But what I want to do in the rest of our time is I want to highlight three ways that we do this. Just three ways. The first way that we do this is in terms of our time. Can you say this with me? Time. And what that simply means is that we make the work of the church a priority because we make time for the things that are important to us, right? I mean, let's be real. All of us are busy. All of us have demands. All of us have schedules. All of us have responsibilities. But we adapt our schedules for the things that matter for the things that really and truly matter. I was reminded of this uh, about a year ago. I was going through a season um, that just had me feeling kind of discouraged, and I began to question some things, and 
I just was really feeling down. And I decided to reach out to a clergy colleague of mine, just to give him a call on the phone, maybe process out loud with him. So I call him on the phone and I say, hey, is this a good time to talk? And he said, well, actually, Chris, I'm in the car right now with my wife and we're leaving home and we're driving down to go see my mom who isn't doing too well right now. And I have you on speakerphone right now. And I apologized and I said, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that you were in the car. You're going to go see your mom. You're with your wife. You know what? This isn't a good time. I'll call you back another time. And then he took me off speakerphone and he said, Chris, now's a good time. I know you well enough to know that something's really bothering you, that something's really weighing on you. Let's talk. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah, let's talk. So we did for about half an hour. But he chose to do that. We make time for the things that are important to us, for the things that really and truly matter. Uh, Henry David Thoreau, maybe you remember that name from school. Uh, he was a naturalist, a poet, an essayist. He wrote these words back in the 1800s. He said, it is not enough to be busy. So are the ants. The question is, what are we busy about? And so that's my question for you. That's my question for me. What are we busy about? Is it the work of the church? Or is it something else? I'm reminded of what Jesus said in the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He said this in Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And so notice, Jesus doesn't say, seek the kingdom of God moderately, seek the kingdom of God to a certain degree. It's that Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, put God's priorities, put God's agenda at the top of the list. And folks, we do that when we're intentional about investing our time in the church. But we also do that, number two, when we're intentional about investing something else in the church. And that would be our treasure. Uh, the second thing that I want to lift up. And this is something that we struggle with, right? I mean, I, I, I know I've struggled with this in the past, if I'm being honest. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, maybe you've heard that name before. He uh, played a key role in the Protestant Reformation back in the 1500s. Well, Martin Luther once made this observation. He said three conversions are necessary in the life of every Christian. There's conversion of the heart, there's conversion of the mind, and then there's conversion of the wallet. And the fact that Martin Luther put wallet last on the list indicates that he knew, he realized just how much we as Christians resist this kind of conversion. We're okay with giving certain things of our lives over to God, but our money? Uh, I'm not sure about that. It actually reminds me of the story about this little boy. Uh, his name was Nathan, and Nathan was three years old. And Nathan had parents who wanted to instill in their son uh, the importance of being in worship. And of course, a key part of being in worship includes giving to the offering. And so it was Sunday morning. Service was about to start. Nathan's mom grabbed her purse, and out of her purse, she pulled out a nice, crisp dollar bill. She gave it to Nathan, and she said, I want you to take this dollar bill and put it in the offering plate when the offering plate comes your way. So Nathan held on to that dollar bill. It got time for the offering, so uh, they were sitting in their pews, and the offering plate came by, and Nathan's parents held the plate in front of their son, and they told Nathan, okay, this is it. You got to put the dollar bill in the offering plate. Only Nathan started to bulk. He didn't want to do it. He wanted to keep that dollar bill to himself. And so Nathan's parents kept encouraging their son, no, 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 you got to put it in the plate. Come on, we can't interrupt the service. We can't stop the flow of service, but Nathan wouldn't do it. And so finally his mom grabbed the bill from him, and in a very gentle way, she placed it in the offering plate on his behalf. Well, then suddenly the stillness of the offering 
was shattered by this voice that kept screaming out, I want my dollar back. I want my dollar back. Nathan had been robbed, and he wanted everybody in the service to know about this. So Nathan's parents were getting embarrassed, and they tried their best to get Nathan to calm down, settle down, but nothing appeased them. He kept getting louder and louder and louder. I want my dollar back. I want my dollar back. Well, finally, Nathan's dad was getting so fed up, he pulled out his wallet, grabbed the dollar bill, gave it to Nathan, but the damage had been done. Everybody in the service could not stop laughing. Everybody was aware of what had happened. Well, then finally, the pastor stood up, and this pastor is much wiser than me, and she decided to address the congregation. This is what she said. This is brilliant. She said, we should not laugh, because it just might be that little Nathan is voicing the feelings that maybe all of us are carrying right now after giving our financial resources over to God. We might not dare say it out loud, but deep down we're probably thinking, I want my dollar back. I want my dollar back. We struggle when it comes to financially giving. Yet being a part of the church means aligning our finances, a portion of our finances, with the work of God in our midst. Earlier we read from the Sermon on the Mount. Well, this is what Jesus says in that same sermon. Uh, this is from Matthew 6, verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. How can our heart be with the church if our treasure isn't there too? For those of us with a steady stream of income, God is calling us to give generously so that the work of God can go forward, the work of God can continue. Time, treasure, and then the last way that we do this, commit ourselves as individual members to the collective work of Jesus through the church is through our talent. Which simply put are the things that we do well, those areas in our lives that God has gifted us in, we take those gifts and we plug them into the church. For example, if we're good at working with kids, we work with kids. If we're good at serving with youth, we serve with youth. If we have musical abilities, like the folks in the band, aren't these folks awesome, by the way? Uh, if we have musical abilities, we share those gifts with the church and our band and our choir. Uh, if we have leadership capabilities, we serve in a committee, we chair a committee. If we have a warm and inviting and affectious personality, if you're a grumpy person, you probably shouldn't do this, but if you have a warm, affectious, inviting personality, you serve in our hospitality team, as Carla and Kevin have done this morning. Folks, all of us are gifted in some way. We might not feel as if we're gifted. We might not think that we're gifted. But all of us are gifted in some way, some capacity. How are we using these gifts? How are we using these talents to build up the church? I love what the Apostle Paul says about this in Romans 12. He says, in his grace, God has done this in grace. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy... Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And so the bottom line is, we are to use our talent not selfishly, not for our own sake, but rather for the sake of the church and the world. And so just to recap, time, treasure, talent. These are the three ways that we as individual members of the church 
commit ourselves to the collective work of Jesus through the church. And folks, when all of us do this, when all of us as individual members of the church commit ourselves to the collective work of Jesus through the church, then the ministry of Jesus goes forward in this world. Remember what St. Teresa of Avila said? Christ has no body but yours. Then the work of Jesus goes forward in the world. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is proclaimed. It is announced. Suffering is relieved. Uh, the broken are bound up. Hearts are mended. Uh, hungry people are fed. Thirsty people are given something to drink. Naked people are clothed. But it takes all of us working together. All of us being committed. And all of us being all in. Not somewhat all in but completely, totally, and absolutely all in. Peter Skillman is a well-known figure in the product design world. And one day he decided that he was going to conduct an experiment. He decided that he was going to compare the skills of the average kindergartners with those of business students at these really elite, prestigious universities. And so what he did was he took some kindergartners, he took some business students, and he broke them up into groups of four with their peers. And he gave all the groups um, 20 pieces of spaghetti, a yard of string, and a yard of tape, and a marshmallow. And he said, I want you to build the tallest structure that you can, working with your group, build the tallest structure that you can. The only rule is the marshmallow has to go on top. And so everybody got to work. The kindergartners got to work. The business students got to work. Well, the business students didn't work as well together as the kindergartners did. And so as a result, the average structure of the kindergartners was 26 inches high. The average structure of the business students at these elite prestigious universities, it was 10 inches high. The average structure for the kindergartners was 16 inches higher. And so one analyst had this to say. He said, we see smart, experienced business school students, and we find it difficult to imagine that they would combine to produce a poor performance. We see unsophisticated, inexperienced kindergartners, and we find it difficult to imagine that they would combine to produce a successful performance. However, individual skills are not what ultimately matters. What matters is what? The interaction. Folks, God is inviting us. God is calling us to interact with each other, to be a part of the much larger body of Jesus, to share in the mission of Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the world. So by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit's power, let's get to work. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Oh God, I can still remember 28, 29 years ago, being led to church for the very first time. Thank you so much for all those people over the years who poured into me, who not only helped me answer my call, my call to the ministry, but even more so, just helped me to follow you, helped me to be a disciple of you, taught it what it means to be your child. And God, I thank you for the way that you're using Asbury right now to raise up another generation of leaders and Christ followers. God, continue to work through us, among us, by your Holy Spirit's power. Help all of us individually, through our time, our treasure, and our talent, commit ourselves to the collective work that you want to accomplish here.
God, please help us as we try to stay faithful to our mission of knowing the love of Jesus and passing it on. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.